morning, Lincoln Park. How you doing? Good to see you. My name is Patrick, and uh, it's a pleasure to serve you this morning. I'm the director of New Thing, and whether you know it or not, New Thing is something that community started years ago to plant churches just like this one for people just like you, and we do that all over the world. So as we speak, we're serving in 40, 40 countries all over the world, and because of you, because of your support of community and New Thing through the years, we get to do that work, and I just want you guys to give your yourselves a round of applause because that's what we do here. And then secondly, it's, it's an honor to be with John and Lisa and the team here at Lincoln Park. This is kind of my own, my old haunting grounds. My wife and I have been married 30 years this year. Do I look like I've been married 30 years? Don't answer that. Don't answer that. I'm just, that's a rhetorical question. <laughs> no, but this is our old haunting ground. May have, uh, may have visited a couple of record stores across the, across the way. Might have spent a couple of late nights at the Red Lion. Who knows? But I'm glad to be back here. Those were the days before I was a Christ follower. So, um, but I'm glad to be back here with all of you. And would you do me a favor and just give your Lincoln Park team a round of applause. They really love you guys. They serve you guys. They pray for you guys. And they want to be a blessing to this city. And so I really appreciate what you're all doing. Let's talk about Jesus, shall we? Jesus. Jesus is known for his profound wisdom. Maybe that's how you're approaching him this morning. You have known him as a wise guy, so to speak. He says some really interesting things. And if you listen carefully to Jesus, you hear some paradigm-shifting statements. Statements that if you're going to take him seriously, you have to take seriously. And that's what we're going to do. And one of the ones that I want to start with this morning is what I think is going to be very countercultural. It's going to be a bit disruptive to you, and I want you to hang with me, all right? So here's the secret. When you find yourself feeling a little bit challenged, or maybe you don't like what I'm saying, I want you to rub your belly, all right? I just want you to do this. Come on. Come on, do it. Just rub your belly, because when you're rubbing your belly, you're going to feel better, okay? Just do that with me, okay? Because this is that countercultural statement that Jesus says to us that I want to wrestle with this morning. Here it goes. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Let me say it again. It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, we're all smart here. That's a radically countercultural statement that Jesus is making. And once again, if you're going to take Jesus seriously, you and I, how are you guys doing up there, by the way? I didn't forget about you. Uh, you and I all have to kind of wrestle with this kind of stuff. Because we are a culture, and I want you to be honest with yourself, and I want you to be honest about our culture. Our culture values getting, and receiving, and buying, and consuming. And that's fine, we just have to admit it. A and what we need to understand is that as we've entered into the 21st century, this culture of consuming has been going on around us for about 100 years. And I've had the privilege of traveling to other parts of the world, and it's the same thing there. And all I'm asking you is, is that your primary identity as a consumer? Somebody who just buys stuff and holds on to stuff and tries to get as much stuff as they can. I mean, consuming is not a bad thing, but according to Jesus, we're settling for much less because he says it is a blessing to give. It is a blessing to give. 
I heard a, a friend of ours, Pastor Groeschel, talk about this a while back. And he said, basically, I can't think of a single circumstance in my life where I could tell you an emotionally consuming story. Now, what he's driving at is that as he reflected on his life, a very successful pastor that gets to speak to lots of people, he couldn't think of a single time in his life where buying something or getting something actually caused him an emotional reaction. And it made me think. It made me think about my own life and my own emotional life. A few weeks ago, my wife and I were in the midst of um, uh, redecorating our living room, which 15 years ago would have been a nightmare. But it's really good now because we're older and wiser and the kids are out of the house, right? So we're looking for curtains and we find the curtains, right? Finally, these are the ones we both agree on the same curtains. We didn't break into tears and say, oh, it's so great we found these curtains. Thank you, God. We didn't do that, right? Or I'm a runner, and I love to buy running shoes, and I go to the running store. And you know, every time I go to the running store, I don't buy a new, new pair of shoes and run out there like, God, I feel closer to you today. That doesn't happen, right? The things we get and the things we acquire don't really add up to much when it comes to our emotional lives. But I can think of a lot of emotionally giving stories, and I'm honest. That's I'm, a real thing. I feel emotion when I'm able to give and support good causes. I've, I've experienced the emotion of sending some kids to blast, some children of a single mom who couldn't make ends meet and had no choice but to ask for help to send their kids to blast, and I was a part of that. We made it happen. That was a really good story. Or, or the time that, that I first entered into this real, as much as I could, giving, follow Jesus all the way during a generosity initiative at Community, when I felt myself challenged and when we finally kind of broke through the trepidation and started to give faithfully. That was a very powerful story and moment. Or, or the time that I was able to support a young church planning couple who has a vision of helping people just like us find their way back to God in their city. That was a lot of fun to give to. The emotionally giving stories are the ones that I remember. What about you? All of this convinces me that Jesus is right. Jesus is right. It is more blessed to give than to receive, and yet we struggle. We struggle with this. Even me bringing up finances at church, you like feel it sometimes. You're like, what is this guy going to talk to me about? How's he going to make me feel? I want you to let that go for a moment. Listen, because this is all about what Jesus is teaching us. We struggle to be faithful and generous. We struggle to do it regularly. We struggle to be faithful for the long haul. Maybe we're, we're faithful and generous in a season and then something happens in life and we get all sideways and it takes us years to come back. Why? If God is real and Jesus is, is who he says he is and he says things like it is better to give than to receive. It is a blessing to give than to receive. Why do we struggle? I think there's three things that we, we wrestle with in this area. Number one, for many of us, we're not in the habit of giving, and that's okay. Habits are hard to break. They're also difficult to take up, and so let's not put that aside too quickly. 
Maybe you grew up in a church home. Maybe you didn't, like me. Maybe giving was a priority for your family. Maybe it wasn't. The point is, it's hard to form new habits and to break the old ones. That's one of the reasons I think we struggle. Number two is we keep it private. We keep our finances private. What if I asked you to turn to your neighbor and tell him how much you made last year, right? You'd just as soon tell him the color of your underwear, wouldn't you, right? It'd be easier almost. It's just the way we do it. It's we, we think that what we earn and what we have is like ours, and I'm going to keep it private. I'm not going to tell. Maybe I won't even tell my spouse. So that's another barrier. And I think that many of us, and this is where I want to camp out a little bit today, many of us, myself included, struggle with a scarcity mindset. We're afraid. We're afraid we won't have enough. Or we're afraid we'll lose what we have. And that's real. I just want to acknowledge that. That's, that's a real emotion. Those are real things to be afraid of. And we get stuck in that scarcity mindset. And we're not faithful to what we want to do with our lives. We're not faithful to become the people, the generous people we know we want to become. I know that if I asked you point blank, would you rather be known as a generous person or a stingy person? All of you are going to lie to me and say a generous person. You see what I'm saying? So the goal is to be a little bit more about who we want to be. And the scarcity mindset haunts us. It fills us with dread sometimes. I don't have enough. I'm going to lose. I have so little, why would I give it away? These are the things that appear in the scarcity mindset. The scarcity mindset feeds this never-ending compulsion to consume. Think about this with me. People tell you what to buy and what to own, what makes you valuable, what makes you popular. How many of us actually pause and think through why we're buying the things we get or, or trying to acquire the things we do? And, and, and this, this is fed by this scarcity mindset. I'm going to get mine. I'm going to make sure that I have mine covered before I do anything else. And I'm telling you, that's a little bit in confrontation with what Jesus says. And that's what we're wrestling with. Are you okay with me? Any belly rubbing yet? <laughs> Bellies? You guys okay? All right, good. I'm checking on you up there, okay? Um, so let's talk about this abundant mindset. The abundance mindset says God always provides. That is a truth that you could stake your life on. God always provides. The abundance mindset looks around and feels gratitude for what we have and what God has given us and all that we are blessed with. The abundance mindset wells up in us a desire to bless others, to be a blessing to not only our friends, our neighbors, our fellow city dwellers, but to the world. That's something to note. And we find this in the scriptures. Paul wrote a lot of your New Testament. You should go back and read some of this later on tonight. But he wrote a letter to the church in Corinth, which is in present-day Greece, about the church in Macedonia, which is just north of Greece. So you stick with me. Here's what he wrote. Here's what he wrote, and it's pertinent to what we're talking about today. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Remember, he's writing to the Corinthian churches, telling them about his friends in Macedonia. In the midst of a very severe trial... Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. 
entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded for us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. Notice some of the phrasing that jumps out. Severe trials. I wonder what those are. I wonder what he's referring to. Severe trials. They, they experienced extreme poverty. Not just poverty, extreme poverty. And yet Paul says this. They were richly generous. Trials, extreme poverty, and coming out of it is a rich generosity from God's people. I want that. I want us to be that people. I want to be known like that. And, and then Paul writes, they say, he says that they gave beyond their ability. Man. Why is that possible? It's because of God's grace. It's because of the grace that God has given each of us, you and I. This grace that takes us out of ourselves, that stops it about being us all the time and lets us step outside of ourselves and accept this free gift from God, this grace that he promises to each of us through the person of Jesus. And remember, you don't earn grace. You don't earn grace. You don't work towards grace. This is the great distinguisher, maybe, of Christianity. Grace comes to us. Grace is about receiving. The hardest part of grace is receiving with no strings attached, if you ask me. That kid's having fun. <laughs> and he says this. He says this a little bit later on in Paul, Paul to the Corinthians. See that you also excel in this grace of giving. Now I lay those passages out for you so you're very clear about where I'm coming from. This is scriptural and this is biblical in the sense of how Paul is talking about generosity. And so what does it look like for us to excel in the grace of giving? What does that actually look like? How do we grow in the grace of giving? Well, the first way seems pretty straightforward, but this is a tough one. Trust God. Trust God. If he is your ultimate, why do we wrestle with trusting him, even in the way of our finances? And so many times we get stuck in that scarcity mindset, remember, where we're, we're thinking about all the things we don't have, all the debt we have, and all the debt we have to pay, the lack of raises that we've received over the last couple years, and how can I think about being more generous when my boss is cutting my salary? Or, or the world's in chaos. I don't even know if I'm going to have a job in three months, let alone be generous giver. Are you kidding me? I know. I'll give more when I hit the lotto. It'll be good then. Once I get enough money, I'll be really generous. You just wait. You just wait. I say that to myself, and I'm still waiting for myself to be more generous, right? This is what I'm getting at, my friends. When we step out in faith, when we trust Jesus at who he says he is, at what he says about reality, about what he says about each of us, we step into a possibility of supernatural influence over our finances. I know the world says that's hooey. I know that. But this is what the scriptures confess. Paul told Philemon, Philemon, excuse me, Philemon, and he writes this letter and in this letter, there's this passage I want to share with you. And I'm praying that you will put into action. Put into action what? 
the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand the experience and experience all the good things we have in Christ. Trust Christ because he's good. Trust Christ because he has given us grace. We put our faith into action when we give. That's not me, that's Jesus. And let me tell you from experience, it helps when we have a plan to give, right? I mean, I plan to consume. I have a re- I'm a really good planner when it comes to consuming. I can tell you when I'm going out to dinner. I can tell you when I make fr- uh, plans with friends to go out to dinner, how much I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to spend on dinner. Last year, my wife and I built a deck. Remember, the kids are out of the house, so we're fighting a whole lot less on the home decor, right? So we can get the deck done. So the deck is starting, and my son Cormac's here. He knows. I planned. We researched. We, we, we talked to different general contractors because I'm like, I'm useless with a hammer. All I can do is like dig a ditch, which I did. I did my part of the deck, but nonetheless, I did all the planning to consume. I do have a nice deck now. You should all come and hang out. But what I'm saying is I planned to consume. I went to the store. I looked at it. I priced it out. I shopped it. We do that normally. Do we plan to give? Do we plan to be generous? I don't know. Why? Why is it different? You know, as part of the plan that my family and I have in place, we give a recurring gift. And you've heard us talk about that at Community. And a recurring gift is good in two ways. Number one, it's good discipline for those times when I don't want to give. Or when my son comes home and says, Dad, guess how much money I need for next semester? Right? All those moments in life, right? And I think it also is very good for us to be consistent, connected to what community is doing. When you are giving, you are mentally and emotionally more connected to what God's doing in and through this church. You know what I'm saying? You're not bad if you're not. I'm just suggesting that when you're giving, when you're in this, when you're a part of the family, you pay attention to some things a little bit differently than when you don't. And those are at least two good reasons. And then he also gets you out of the this, this scarcity mindset. So I give I give reoccurring, I ask you to maybe consider the same for you and your family. To make giving a plan and watch what God does. Watch as you start to grow in the grace of God. The second way to grow in the grace of giving is to step forward. And this usually starts when um, we start to take God seriously about what to give and how much to give. And the Bible has some things to say about it. I'm going to share them with you very quickly. But what this is really doing is I'm challenging you to step forward and stop playing it so safe. So tithing is the word that the Bible uses a lot, and it's a starting point for giving. And Lizzie said it in the opening, this this is premised on this notion that everything is God's. So if you're resisting me, rub your belly, rub your belly right now, and then just hear me out because this starts with this understanding that you and I are stewards of our resources. We're not owners. And I know that's countercultural. Remember, that's where I started. So just bear with me. We are stewards. That means God is looking to us and say, I've blessed you. How are you blessing others? That's kind of the dynamic here. And the tithe is one-tenth. It comes from a Hebrew word called masar. And I don't know if I'm pronouncing it fully correctly, but it's a very, very ancient word, masar. And it goes to the agricultural economy of ancient Israel. Remember, they didn't have cash or they had coins, but if you were giving a lot of resources, it would be food or animals, right? And so one-tenth, according to Leviticus, who's not a guy, it's a book, 
<laughs> One-tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain from the fields or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It must be set apart for him as holy. So think about it. In our, in our economy today, every dollar I make, the first 10 cents is God's. The first 10 cents. So you do the math after that, right? And yet it seems from the start, God's people have struggled with this. So we're not alone. They've, we've struggled. God's people have struggled with this. Even in the book of Malachi, God challenges his people to test him. Listen to this. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there will be enough food in my temple. This is God speaking. If you do so, says the Lord of heaven's army, I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take, to, to take it all in. Try it. Put me to the test. Bring the whole tithe and test me. It's the only time in the Bible that God says, test me. Test me. Now, why is he testing us? Why does he ask us to test him? I think number one is we're freaking out. 10%, you know, we're already doing the numbers, right? Wow, that's a lot of money. Oh, goodness. What are you going to do with that money anyway, right? All those kinds of things. So that's a lot. But I also think it's a test about God's blessing. Some of us wrestle with the reality of God. And some of us need to understand that God is a God of blessing. He wants to bless us. And so this, for me, becomes an opportunity to listen very carefully and test God. All right, God, I'm going to trust you with the 10th, and I'm going to look for your blessing in my life. And maybe that blessing is different than I would like it, but it is still going to be present in my life. If God has given us permission, and if we generally freak out about that, it comes down to, are we going to do this? Are we going to really wrestle with this in our lives? Are we going to actually go there and ask ourselves, what does this look like for me and my family? And then we have to answer the questions. How in the world would I even do that? That's crazy, actually. I mean, I'm in debt. Why would I give? It seems impossible to me that I could ever, I could ever take on this issue of the tithe. I mean, in order to do that, I would have to fully trust God and I would have to organize my life around things that God says are important. <laughs> That's it. That's why. God doesn't ask you to go on and do the same things and have the same priorities. Jesus does ask us to reprioritize all of our lives around his central reality. That's the beauty of it. That's the awesomeness of it. That's what it means to be in Christ. That's why we challenge each other every morning in these simple disciplines, in these simple steps, right? We seek God first every day. I know I do. Prayer and Bible reading. We seek God collectively together in our worship services like we're doing here on Sunday so we can be together and celebrate. We seek God first in our lives when we give generously when we respect what he says about finances, when we respect the paradigm and the reality that he's set up for all of us, meaning he's owner, we're stewards. The drill is, what do we do in our stewardship? That's the drill. That's the game. That's what this is all about. Oh, I know this is hard. I know this can be challenging. I didn't grow up in the church. I had no sense of giving money away. Like, none whatsoever. I come from a family, 
you get money and you spend money <laughs> as fast as you can. And you don't hold on to any of it because time's a-wasting, right? And my parents divorced when I was young. I was 12. And I lived with a single mom. My mom, I'm the oldest of four, my mom took care of us. She worked really hard. She was a short-order cook. My dad walked out on us. It was, it was terrible. My heart goes out to single moms. You guys make the world go round as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> we barely had enough to live, let alone give. So I had no sense of this. And I did not belong to a church. But then, um, as I was finding my way back to God, at community, only about 15 years ago, I was finding my way back to God, and I had my hand on my billfold. Like, nobody's getting this, right? <laughs> I'll go, I'll do all these, spring fast will serve here, but you ain't, you ain't getting this. You ain't getting this. This is the last thing to go. And then it was during a generosity initiative that I just felt like, am I just going to play this? Am I just going to play at being a Christ follower? Am I just going to pretend that I really believe this? Now, that's my story. That's not your story. But I'm saying, for me, that was a moment of cognizant, cognitive dissonance that broke. And we went in on this generosity initiative. And I'm not going to tell you I got the yacht in Haiti, or in, in uh, Tahiti, and I get to go to Rome every summer. I'm not telling you that. What I am saying, though, is when I look over my shoulder, I see that moment, and I see my life before that moment and my life after that moment. And I see God's blessing, and I see God's abundance in my life after that moment. That's all I can tell you. I still fight to give, guys. I still fight. I still think about what I can spend money on. I still think about if I only could just stop tithing for a couple of months, man, I could finish that deck faster. <laughs> but you know what? I put Jesus first. I've made a commitment. I'm going to do it his way. And even though I don't like it some days, even though when it's hard, I'm going to do it his way. I'm not going to do it the world's way anymore. I'm done. Trust God and see what happens. That's what I want for you guys. I want you to trust God. We're talking about finances, but we're really talking about trust. That's the principle at work. And I know that you and I, we have to arrange some things in our life if we're going to live this way. There's no doubt about it. And that's going to be my challenge to you as you leave here today. What would it look like for you to take these steps of faith? What would it look like for you to trust God with the tithe? What would it look like for you to go beyond just those little baby steps of giving and really get serious about what your life of generosity looks like? What does it look like for you to maybe take some risk, step outside of your comfort zone in this area? Because you can trust on God and you can trust in his goodness. That's without question. Third way we do this is by sharing stories. As we talked about at the beginning, most of us hide this area of our lives, right? Our culture does. We keep it private. We don't talk about it with other people. And that means there's no accountability and there's little opportunity to grow when we're not holding each other accountable. And we need to see giving back to God as part of following Jesus. We need to break through that stigma of, being, of not talking about it. We need to be honest with one another that this is an issue that we all struggle with, me included. But it is an important issue because it's, a, it's an area where we can really get in line with what God's doing in this world. And the best way to do that is through telling stories, sharing with one another, talking to one another openly. These can be stories about when you trusted God. They can also be stories of struggle. They can be stories like this. 
Generosity had always been something that and we both did individually, but hadn't really talked about with each other really until until kind of we got engaged and started having those, you know, more in-depth conversations. Living in the city, it's a very expensive place to try to navigate. Once we got married though, it became this thing that we could do together, um, which I feel like has been kind of fun to be honest, um, just to like be able to steward our resources well together. There's gonna be a lot of unexpected stuff coming towards you. You know, the storm, the storm's always gonna come, but um, you know, God, God is our rock that we can build our house on. And I think through our giving, being able to provide that for other people, um, and just in our local community here, and then through you know the other organizations, uh, community partners with, just being able to be that for other people who might need that, you know, more than we do right now. We believe that everything we've been given is a blessing, and we are called to steward those blessings well. One of the big things about tithing for us is, um, you know, we talk about at church that it's giving back to God. This is about following God and entrusting that He will care for you. Sometimes not exactly the way you want, but we don't always see the big picture. The way we look at it is we're giving back to God and we're praying that when we give back to God through giving back to community, that you know God is giving the church leaders the wisdom to wisely you know funnel those resources in the way that He wants His mission done. You need to believe in the cause. So God is our main cause, of course, but the things that community does, in my opinion, is reaching those that need, true need. They're doing what they said they were gonna do. It's been very important, I think, for me to, you know, continue to tithe. It's a blessing to be able to, um, to be able to participate in what community is doing and then what God is doing through community. I've never been one to love the, the whole cliche, you know, you can't outgive God kind of thing. You know, I feel like it's, it's always what they, you know, they say, but it's definitely a trust and a faith-based decision. We can't say that there's been any point in our life when we've given back that we've regretted it. I love hearing stories from community attenders. I love hearing their hearts and their struggles and their successes in this area. You know, back to Jesus. He says it is more blessed to give than to receive. I've been meditating on those words all week, just trying to figure out, all right, Lord, how, how can I deliver this well with love and respect and kindness and grace to my friends at Lincoln Park? And I know this is so deeply challenging to us. I do. It's just, I get it. And together, we can grow. And that's maybe what I want to see us do as a church. Not, here, not just here at Lincoln Park, but at all of our locations, and frankly, at all of our churches through New Thing. This is a message that I would be confident in giving there as well. And so, what are we challenging one another to do? Number one, put God first. And that means wrestle with what it looks like to trust him. Number two, let go of a scarcity mindset. God is not trying to take anything away from you. God is not trying to trip you up. God wants to give you an abundant life. And so 
don't fall prey to that scarcity mindset. And thirdly, share stories. Share stories of struggle and success because we're on the journey together. And for me, that's the best part of it. God is good. He is faithful, and he wants us to grow in this grace of giving. Pray with me. Father God, thank you so much for these friends. And I just pray that you would continue to do a work in their lives as you are working on me, Lord. And thank you for the generosity of this group now, today. I celebrate wherever they are, Lord. I say thank you for each of them. But Lord, you're constantly challenging us to lay down more so that we can take up more of Jesus. And I pray that for them, Lord, as I pray it for myself. Use us, Lord, to be a blessing, not only with our spiritual gifts, but with our finance as well. Lord, we trust you. We know you're good and faithful. Help us, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.